0: You're listening to The Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Daniel and the Lion's Den. So in Kids' Gate, the kids go through the Jesus Storybook Bible. We started at the start, as is a good idea to do, and uh, we've just been progressing through. In that uh, Bible, the story is called Daniel and the Scary Sleepover, um, which is an awesome title. Daniel and the Scary Sleepover is the story of Daniel and the Lions Den. Now I bring this up today because, as I said, with Kidsgate we just go through the book um, like 90% of the time. We don't adjust which story is told when. But I find it really cool that that was last Sunday and this Sunday on Family Sunday, um, the kids are going to again hear from uh, Daniel, Chapter Six, which is the story of Daniel and the Scary Sleepover, uh, Daniel and the Lions Den. So. Uh, if you have kids, they're they're already experts on this story. Uh, the only difference today is I won't be going uh, through the entire story because it's the whole chapter six of the book of Daniel, and that's a lot. Um, so similar to how we did back in chapter three, I'll be telling so some of the lead up to the conflict, uh, some of the context and what's happening because there's a lot going on there too. And then next Sunday will sort of be part two of the chapter six. Uh, messages and and pastor greg will take us through uh, the more exciting part with the lions and the sleepover and and whatnot so that's what's happening today and next sunday um so if you have a bible you can open it to daniel 6 um before i read it though i mentioned chapter 3 and i want to mention it again because if you can recall. The start of the year, we did go through Daniel 3, and um, as I read this morning and as we read next week, you may find yourself thinking, isn't there another story in this book about jealous co-workers trying to uh, get someone killed for their faith or whatever. Yes, absolutely. This story is uh, linked to the story from chapter three. And this is not on accident. Um, if you recall, or if you happen to be here when we went through the Bible project video, they explained for us the structure of the book of Daniel. And it's very interesting. So I actually gave the poster to John to show us uh, today because it's called a chiasm, but uh, you can see that the chapters are laid out like panels. It kind of looks like a board game or something. Uh, chapter one is off to the left. And then once we get into chapters two, three, four, five, six, and seven. So the bulk of the book, those are laid out in order going down and then five, six, seven goes back up. And each of those chapters has a little link, uh, going between them. So this is chaotic structure where, uh, you go forward in themes. And then as you progress, the themes repeat themselves back. Um, I know it's confusing, but. Two and seven are linked in that they are about dreams and kingdoms. Three and six, six we're in today, are stories about um, persecution and God's faithfulness in spite of the great threat that they're facing. And then four and five are linked in that they're stories about God uh, bringing people out of their pride with Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. So, as I said, we're in six today, and uh, you're welcome to read along in your Bible or on the screen. I'll be reading from the CEB version today, so it sounds uh, perhaps a little bit different. I'll be doing verses 1 through 10. Darius, the king, decided to appoint 120 chief administrators throughout the kingdom And to set over them three main officers to whom they would report so that the king wouldn't have to be bothered too much. One of these main officers was Daniel. Because of his extraordinary spirit, Daniel soon surpassed the other officers and the chief administrators, so much so that the king had plans to set him over the entire kingdom. As a result... The other officers and the chief administrators tried to find some problem with Daniel's work for the kingdom. But they couldn't find any problem or corruption at all because Daniel was trustworthy. He wasn't guilty of any negligence or corruption. So these men said, We won't find any fault in Daniel unless we can find something to use against him from his religious practice. So these officers and chief administrators ganged together and they went to the king and they said to him, Long live King Darius. All the officers of the kingdom, the ministers, the chief administrators, the royal associates and the governors advised the king to issue an edict and enforce a law that for 30 days anyone who says prayers to any god or human except you, your majesty, will be thrown into a pit of lions. Now, your majesty, issue the law and sign the document so that it cannot be changed as per the, media, the law of media in Persia, which cannot be annulled. Because of this, King Darius signed the document containing the law. When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went to his house. Now his upper room had an open window that faced Jerusalem, Daniel knelt down, prayed, and praised his God three times that day, just like he always did. Imagine that you're uh, lost in the desert. Your phone battery has been dead for a few days. You're starting to get thirsty, super thirsty, and so... Off in the distance, you think to yourself, is that water I see? And you've seen enough TV shows and movies to know that when you're in the desert and you're really thirsty and you think you see water, it probably isn't. It's probably a mirage, but you'd be foolish not to, you know, go check. Uh, So you change the course of your wandering towards what you think is an oasis. And as you get closer, you start to get excited because you're like, oh my goodness, I think it actually is. And lo and behold, when you get there, there's a beautiful... Um, piece of uh, a body of water and it looks fresh and amazing and you know your life is saved because other, otherwise you're going to die of thirst just as you arrive to the oasis and fall down to have a drink out from behind a bush steps some kind of police officer who tells you um, drinking this water is actually against the law uh, you're not allowed to drink any kind of drink, especially the water here. So um, you're faced with a bit of a problem, aren't you? And this morning, we see that Daniel is also faced with a problem. He's in a difficult position. Um, at this point, Daniel has been working and doing well and excelling in exile for over 70 years. He's proven himself, he's shown himself again and again as honorable, as trustworthy, as wise, as a good leader. Not only this, but he has a close relationship with his God who uh, has displayed himself through Daniel miraculously a number of times. We read in verse 3 that Daniel has an extraordinary spirit. We can take this to mean both of the things which I just described. Daniel himself is is strong, wise, courageous, and worthy of trust, but he also has an extraordinary spirit within him that is the Holy Spirit, God's spirit, that dwells with this man. Both are true. Um, As we learned in the story, unfortunately, and I think any person who is in politics can tell us this, Daniel's success attracts those who would like to see him fall. With his success, uh, there are enemies, people who want to stab him in the back and find a reason to bring him down. As I said, Daniel's coworkers are jealous of him, and their jealousy motivates them to hatred. They want to see Daniel taken out by any means possible. And this is one thing, but the problem is they can't find a reason to. Right? They can't find any reason to blame him. They're digging for dirt. They're going through the archives of every tweet that Daniel's ever tweeted. And there's nothing there on which to blame and slander and bring him down. They just can't. We'll return to this in a few minutes. Because it's impressive. So, what they do is they take the same route that the villains took in chapter 3. Uh, they create some sort of policy and they pitch it to the king and they get the king to sign off on it. It's a trap, right? It's a legal trap because the one thing that they know that Daniel is not going to do is stop praying and serving and loving the God that he worships. They also know that the king isn't going to want to uh, go back on his word, once he signed off on it. That's the last thing a king wants to do. It's bad PR. Speaking of PR, I would say that that's probably uh, Darius's motive, similar to how it was Nebuchadnezzar's motive in uh, agreeing to make this law, because it seems like a good idea when you're ruling over a bunch of different provinces, a bunch of different areas and types of people, and you've got all these staff, to cause a sense of unity amongst the people, right? Um, In fact, I would imagine that Darius's motivation was not really religious at all. Rather, it was one where he would place himself as the god of the universe of Babylon, so to speak, so that the people would see him rightfully as their king and they would be unified in this sense of who's in control a.k.a. King Darius, for 30 days. And then after that, people can go on with their lives. So the law passes. But the implications for Daniel are clear. In fact, this was tailor-made for him. Um, It's obvious to him. The message is that his worship to God is illegal, at least for 30 days, and so he has to stop. This is where the desert metaphor comes back. Daniel has been surviving and thriving in exile for years and years and years. And without a doubt, we know for sure that prayer has been his lifeline through exile. Daily prayer would be as natural and important and sustaining to Daniel in Babylon as water would be in a desert. And now someone is handing him a document that says... No drinking of water allowed in the desert. In fact, if you do drink water, we will kill you. But to me, I see that Daniel sees prayer or not praying as more of a starvation to his soul, to his very being, than even the threat of death. So let's talk about Daniel's prayer for a few minutes. Daily prayer... Seems to be a rhythm for him, a pattern, a thing which he does again and again and again. And this is a response to the call of the scriptures that Daniel, no doubt, is aware of. When King Solomon dedicated God's temple in Jerusalem, part of his prayer and commandment, Solomon's, goes as follows First Kings eight, forty six to forty nine. When the people sin against you, God For there is no one who does not sin. And you are angry with them and hand them over to their enemy. And their captors deport them to the enemy's country, whether distant or nearby. And when they come to their senses in the land where they were deported and repent. And petition you in their captors' land, saying, we've sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked. And when they return to you with all their heart. And with their soul in the land of their enemies who took them captive. And when they pray to you in the direction of their land that you gave their ancestors. The city that you have chosen. The temple that I have built for your name. May you hear in heaven your dwelling place. Their prayers and petitions and uphold their cause. So Daniel is living the words of Solomon in this passage this is his reality and this is what he does God has allowed his people to be deported and taken captive into a strange land but placing his hope in God Daniel prays it says towards Jerusalem where his window faces Daniel seeks God in exile he repents he longs for the return to their spiritual and ancestral home while they're there where they may worship God in the glory of his temple once again. There's more of this. Uh, The Psalms also give prayers for exiles like Daniel. Listen to Psalm 147, uh, 4-6. How can we sing the Lord's song on foreign soil? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not exalt Jerusalem as my greatest joy, heaven forbid that in exile we forget Jerusalem. Psalm 138 says something similar I give thanks, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. So what this means is that when Daniel receives the law, which says, stop praying for 30 days, he doesn't suddenly react to this new law by praying. In fact, he's not praying in order to defy the king's law. His prayer does break the law, but it's not for the sake of defiance. In fact, he isn't doing anything other than what he has been doing for decades. Verse 10 said that when he prayed, it was like he always did. Daniel learned that the document had been signed. He went to his house. Now, the upper room had an open window that faced Jerusalem and Daniel Melt down, prayed and praised God three times that day, just like He always did. This is very interesting. The first thing that I want to return to and ask God about this morning is simply the way we lives our lives. We live our lives in the world, in our work, our play and our relationships and so on. Because as we read, Daniel's enemies wanted to slander him, but they came up empty. There was nothing. And this speaks a lot to who we can and who we should be as God's people in our setting today. Not that any one of us is perfect. We just read in 1 Kings that that's not the case. But let's ask, do we conduct ourselves as honorable people, who deserve the respect not just of our friends and family but of our enemies we've asked this question before we're repeating ourselves here but this is because it's one of the main themes of the series something that we've talked about time and again it comes from first peter 2 the theme verse Which says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and as exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is exactly what we're seeing in Daniel 6. Different context, but the same thing. Those who want to take Daniel out literally couldn't find anything to blame him on unless they created a situation surrounding his faith in God. And may it be so amongst those who claim allegiance to Jesus here and now. In fact, Jesus uh, speaks to this as well in Matthew 5, 11 and 12, and then I'll jump to 16. He says, You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven, for it is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. I want us to keep these verses in mind as we return uh, to the story next Sunday as well with the conflict of the lion's den and God's presence. There, But for now, as I said, my prayer is that our conduct would be so pure that any attempt to slander God's church would be put to shame. This is what we know God has called us towards and what we strive for to be faithful in. And honestly, the church has a very long ways to go in this, both universally and in our church and in any church. We're not perfect, but I trust that God is leading us towards these things, that we would shine, as Jesus said. Our light would shine to show others God's goodness and the reality of his presence here for his glory. So like Daniel, let us live righteously, even while feeling alienated or like exiles in our own context. So more specifically, the second question that I want to ask is about the way that we act or react when we are faced with some kind of legislative pressure or opposition to our faith. We are blessed to have a lot of freedom as uh, Christians living in a country like Canada. However, there is a growing list of examples where The law pressures Christians or people of other faiths towards fear and compromise and and problems. And I want to say that, uh, first of all, I don't think that Daniel was actually terribly shocked about this law when he, Got it, and this is just me surmising. But if we think about it, Daniel's been doing this kind of work for a very long time in this place. He's seen other kings like Nebuchadnezzar um, basically do the same thing to other staff members, and so this is kind of just how it was back then. It's the Wild West. The kings have dens of lions, Um, and so the threat to you know change or be executed, um, I mean, would be terrifying, but. Perhaps not as shocking to Daniel as it sounds to us today. But how do we act or react to uh, pressures, uh, especially at the intersection of our faith and our culture, or our faith and politics? So looking at Daniel, I want us to remember again, I'll repeat myself, that Daniel did not pray in order to rebel against the new law. He was not praying as a retaliation to this new threat or to this threat of persecution. He was not driven to pray all of the sudden because of the news that he received. One writer said that the crisis did not drive Daniel to his knees, but rather the crisis failed to stop him from doing what he was already doing, which was praying on his knees to God. We can imagine, perhaps, that his prayers had a different urgency to them. I'm not sure. But again, ten says that he simply continued to do what he normally did. And this was in order to be faithful to the God that he knows, sustains, blesses, and gives him life. Daniel was told that drinking water in the desert was not allowed, but that he know, but that was not enough to take away his thirst. For God, so he continued to find God and worship and in prayer. Um, I knew that there would be lots of artistic renditions of Daniel's prayer, so I found one that uh, I thought we could um, throw up there. And I was laughing as I went through the different results of, of Daniel praying. All of them had the Bad guys, like, peeking around the corner uh, to watch him pray. Uh, so there they are. That You can see they're kind of up in the top, right? But Daniel's praying at his window nonetheless. This is what he does. He's been praying towards Jerusalem daily, we can presume, for years and years because this is what he does. His relationship with God is deep. It's established. Prayer is an essential rhythm in his life, and he wasn't going to let any man or law take that away from him. This is because, though he is in exile, Daniel knows who is in control. Daniel knows who's in control. And I can't help but wonder if we miss out on this a lot of the time, specifically when we face pressure life tends to make us feel an incredible amount of pressure, doesn't it? Like I said, whether it's personal things, but especially where our faith intersects with the world around us. And so in these situations, in opposition to our faith, are we overwhelmed? Are we shaken off course? Or maybe we're only inspired to pray when people cross us. Do we allow circumstances to cause us to react and control us? Or are we connected to God in prayer to the degree that we're enabled to remain faithful even under pressure, serious pressure? When we're faced with challenge, with crisis, are we anchored in faith to the God who holds the universe in his hands? Do we react to circumstances, or do we seek God daily to sustain and carry us? I want us to be encouraged by Daniel this morning towards a faith that is that will embolden us to face persecution and difficulty. I want us to begin today to set our hope in God, or reset our hope in the God who saves us. Perhaps nobody is threatening to kill you if you pray. Praise God. But take that opportunity to dwell in his presence daily in worship and prayer. Don't let yourself be coerced into the comfort of a relatively empty Christian life. The truth is, That we are exiles living in this world. Christians are not home. We should not necessarily really feel like we are home. So instead of seeking comfort, we have to seek God if we're going to thrive in this moment and in the future. And this has to be a thing that's established as a rhythm, not as a reaction. We don't know what lies ahead, uh, but God does. I believe that God is so worthy of our trust and that He will sustain us towards the promise of His kingdom for our blessing and the glory of His name in our lives. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, we need you so much. Probably we aren't even aware of the the degree to which we need your presence and sustenance to live, God. We're given each breath by the grace of your hand. Every day is truly a gift from you, God. May we choose to live righteously, to live in a way that gives glory to you, our Father, and shines the love of Jesus to those around us, so that even when People may try to slander us. Our lives would be so full of you, God, that our love would put them to shame. I pray that we would live with steady and deep faith and times of prayer, and times of worship, in order to be sustained even in the most difficult situations. God, your presence is like water in the desert. We long for you. We come before you now. Lord, today we come to you to find grace that forgives our sins and life that is true and full and alive. We love you for this, God. We thank you for this, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.